Apocalypse Rock, Chapter 18 A Fly Gets In Three kilometers inland from Sternum Village, in a small one-level house, in a young forest in a narrow valley, Doug lay alone in his bed. Outside his window, the last light of the mild autumn evening faded. He popped two luminescent blue pills into his mouth, then gazed into his laptop screen, half-watching videos. He nodded off to sleep as images flickered past in autoplay. In one video, a map of the Pacific Ocean has animated red lines moving across it. Locations of cemeteries and burial sites across the many South Sea islands are circled. The narrowed lines are drawn outward. The video zooms out to show the entire globe now. The arrows point toward the Great Pyramid of Giza, the Catacombs of Paris, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the mausoleum of the first king emperor near Xi'an. The voiceover is a man narrating different theories about astral constellations, ley lines, and the interconnectedness of what he keeps calling sacred points. Another video shows image after image of detached feet that have washed ashore, noting shoe type and size, the origins of the shoes, and where they were bought. Pictures of the identified people who used to belong to those feet than images of the unidentified feet. Ominous music plays as a voice describes the timeline of discoveries, the police and coroner's findings, the news headlines and the rumor-filled blogs and podcasts. Aimlessly watching YouTube late into the night was like being awake inside of a dream. Fragments from old broadcasts, shaky phone shot videos, and film excerpts careered past in a vaguely sensical flow. To Doug, it feels like he's prolonging that moment just before sleep hits, or like partly dozing off after some red wine or a joint, but somehow experiencing someone else's high, immersed in another person's drunken state. That's why it helped so much for lulling Doug to sleep, putting his mind outside of himself and his thoughts. Doug would wake up the next morning and only vaguely remember what he had watched, some fragments might echo through, but night after night turned into a stream of sameness as if he had taken a weak dose of sleeping pills, which could never take him under fully. It would just tug at him insistently from the darkness. A short pre-roll ad flashed up a trailer for Slacker Slasher Zombie Disaster, the new miniseries that Siobhan was starring in. Doug smiled as a montage sequence showed the cast of a 1990s reality TV show succumbing to a zombie attack. Each cast member, a variation on an aspect of the so-called Generation X personality. Godless, apathetic, winsome, whiny, navel-gazing, obsessed with performing their privileged boredom. Slacker slasher zombie disaster puts the characters in a postmodern sitcom situation where they must cope with aging as an undead, unmotivated, and housebound lump of meat in a cosmos that is, at best, ambivalent about their existence. Classic Osmar, Siobhan had explained to Doug when she told him about being cast as the lead. A teenage mum whose children grow up to be peppy social media influencers, much to her character's dismay. An ironic and typically surreal Osmaric satire about the slow fate of an undead generation. 
said the blurb at the end of the trailer. Good riddance. The autoplay bumped Doug along to a new video. A montage of aerial shots of different shorelines, some footage of tropical beaches mixed in with grainy retro video footage of speedboats cutting through the waters off Miami, huge breakers pummeling in on some Atlantic island, the placid lagoon of a South Pacific atoll, and so on. The title came up in golden 3D letters that shimmered as they twisted. The Beachcomber. A wave crested over the title, subsuming it in water. It receded to reveal sand, and then the video cut to a woman dressed in a navy blue sailor's cap and coat. She was standing on a mudflat and staring intensely into the camera. Ahoy there. Her voice was flat, almost robotic. Her eyes were pale blue. She had an almost transparent complexion. She kept staring hard into the camera, her expression wide open, almost childish. You could see her body heave slightly from her breathing. Last episode we were on Madagascar. Now we're somewhere very different, she explained. We're on Bainbridge Island, near Seattle. It's another unsolved mystery we're chasing. It's one of my favorites. You know, I like my mysteries dark. And this one's a bucket full of dark. The woman paused for a moment, raised her arm, and jerked it outward in a fist pump. She kept her gaze into the camera and widened her eyes, as if trying to hypnotize whoever was watching. Doug could hear the sound of seagulls in the distance. This episode is supported by Trek and Adventure Holidays. Always your own path, she said. And all my patrons, we could not do this without your support. Hundreds of names scrolled across the screen at such a rapid speed that Doug's eyes felt like they might seize up. The video cut to a close-up of the woman's face and her blank stare. I'm the beachcomber. Let's see what's washed ashore. The next shot showed the beachcomber tromping through the mud in her oversized rubber boots. Each pull of a foot out of the wet sludge below her produced a flatulent slurping sound. A low, ominous orchestral string section rose in the background. It stinks here, she said bluntly. The screen cut to a police image of the recently discovered shoe that Doug had seen in the news earlier that day. It's creepy, she said. You're out for a nice walk in the fresh air, and then you find this. But it's not just a shoe. Inside it you find a foot. It's the remains of a human person. The video went back to the close-up of the beachcomber's blank face, and it cut out to a wide shot of her standing still on the mudflat. Now that's what I call a bucket full of dark. The image cut to the beachcomber again, her stiff figure superimposed over aerial footage of Bainbridge Island, the skyline of Seattle far over the water. For a long moment she stared intensely into the camera as she floated silently in the air. It's been happening for years. Dismembered feet washing ashore. It seems like every year brings more of these gruesome discoveries. We have come here to look into this. I will chase up leads. I will interrogate people. I will get to the bottom of this mystery. The police here have not uncovered anything. In fact, they have denied anything is wrong. 
but they are wrong, and my patrons know that they are wrong. This is exactly like the bizarre case of Flight AA-918, Disappearing Crew, which we all solved together. There's a link to that episode below. But let's look at our new case. The first detached foot washed ashore back in. Doug scrolled down while the beachcomber continued her narrative. Below in the video description were listed the show's patrons. There were multiple hundreds of them. Her YouTube account had over 2 million subscribers. Down the page, Doug could see hundreds of more comments. Three black heart emoticons, followed by, At the beachcomber, more scoops please, this is getting stale. Anyone else here from the cannibal tugboat captain episode? Right now, the beachcomber just equals dismemberment. I like Gore, but I miss the days when she actually got to the bottom of things. Right now, this is basically a listicle of weird shit. That was in 2007. The beachcomber continued her monologue. Since then, dozens and dozens more have washed up all around the Salish Sea. The beachcomber continued her potted history of the human foot discoveries. Doug started to drift off. A message pinged on his phone, bringing him out of his stupor. Doug and Bear had been discussing July's arrest. Bear was now at the police compound. It's completely dark. No one here. You sure they went to the compound? Pretty sure, Doug messaged back. He's probably on patrol then. I'll leave a note at the door. We'll check again in the morning. What about the town hall vote? Doug typed. Passed, Bear replied. Everyone saw the dollar signs. Doug lay back and returned to the bizarre video, trying to get his mind off July's bloodied face, Sweetland's angry eyes. But this one is likely a child. The beachcomber carried on flatly. Doug's thoughts returned to the money that the hippies promised. He started dozing again. Daddy? Daddy? Dora's sleepy voice came through the hallway. Daddy? Dora grabbed the door handle to Doug's bedroom. Daddy? He looked up from the screen and blinked against the darkness. Warm light came through the door, blinding him. Dora's silhouette was framed in the doorway, her frizzy bedhead hair sticking up. Yes, sweetie, you okay? Doug asked. I can't sleep. There's a fly buzzing in my room. It's so noisy. Ah, that sounds annoying. Doug stretched his neck from side to side to ease a cramp. You said they'd go away in the cold. Doug propped himself up in bed with a groan. I know, but sometimes flies stay inside because it's warm in here, and they haven't gone to sleep for winter yet. It's so annoying, Dora answered. He got out of bed and lifted Dora up, hugging her against him. Your face is weird, Dora said matter-of-factly. That's because you're getting so big it hurts my back to pick you up, and when it hurts my face goes weird. Doug pulled his face in a comic grimace. He kissed Dora's cheek. How'd it get inside? Dora asked. You think it was a boy in the woods? No, the boy in the woods takes things, remember? I think our fly friend could have been sleeping somewhere in your room already and then woke up. Or 
They could have come back through the door when we got home from school. Or maybe there's a small crack in the screen over the window in your bedroom and they got through that. Or maybe they could have seen you at school and thought, oh, Dora looks like a cool person to hang out with, especially with her cool new running shoes. I'm going to go home with her. Or Doug carried Dora back to bed as he listed increasingly ridiculous ways the fly could have gotten inside. Irene was sound asleep in the bedroom. Doug tucked Dora back in and then silently swatted around in the darkness until the fly buzzed out of the bedroom and flew down the hallway into the living room. Irene stayed as still as a stump through everything. For a while, Doug looked down at Dora as she fell back asleep. He went back to his bed. His laptop had kept a patch of the mattress warm. Doug opened his window a crack, took out a small joint and lit it. He exhaled the bluish smoke out into the night. When he was done, he stubbed the roach out and got back into bed. The cold glow of the laptop screen illuminated his eyelashes, fingers, and the tip of his nose, turning them into bleary blobs poking up from the dark. The videos continued. Doug nodded off into half-sleep. A low droning noise outside woke him. Someone was standing out there, staring in at him through the window. Yellow-tinged eyes floating. Doug yelped in fear. He stumbled out of bed. He looked out the window, but all he saw was the dark woods around him. The person was gone. As his eyes became adjusted to the dark, Doug could make out numerous tiny flecks careening around outside the house. It was hundreds of thousands of flies swarming the cold night air in a roiling black cloud. He opened the window and the buzzing of the flies became louder, and a stench wafted in, the same stench from his office that morning of rotted flesh and fetid guts. Thanks for listening.